I want to know the truth. This world offers me more confusion than answers. What does it mean to live in truth and follow Jesus? Who is he calling us to be? He has given us his word to find exactly what we are looking for. He is what we need. Hey, good morning, good morning. It is a great day to celebrate the goodness of God. Come on. Great day to celebrate. Come on. It is. It's a beautiful day. Hey, I'm really excited to start a new series with you today that we've titled, What Is? What Is? And today I want to dive into a conversation with you on what is truth. Over the next weeks, we'll talk about what is a man, what is a woman, what is God's design for marriage, and we'll continue to build on those topics. But in order to enter into those conversations, we must establish a foundation and a baseline of what is truth. And that's where I want to dive with you today. And so if you've got your Bibles, I invite you just to grab them and hold on to them. I will be sharing a variety of scripture today. Uh, Make sure you take notes. One of the best ways to interact with our sermons is getting on the YouVersion Bible app. If you go to our website, thecrossloganville.org, you will find a, uh, a little icon there. If you'll click it, it will tell you how to upload our sermon notes. And so my sermon notes are uploaded every week. We want you to take advantage of those. And there's a place for you to fill in your own personal notes. So let's grow together and uh, let's invite the Holy Spirit really to minister to each of us in this room today uh, in, a, in a powerful way. So Father, we... We bow before you and we recognize you as our God. You are the author and the perfecter and the finisher of all things. The great and mighty God that you are, we bow before you through your beloved son, Jesus, who has conquered death, hell, and the grave. You were kind enough to pour out your Holy Spirit so that we didn't have to live as orphans, that we could be recipients of Christ in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for every person in this room right now, those that are watching online, I pray that our hearts would be open to you and that we would really desire for you to speak, you to minister. And I do, I pray for every person, every person, Father, that this message would not be one of information only, but it would be one of deep transformation that would lead us to become more and more conformed into the likeness of Christ. Have your way in this room, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that something is not right with the spiritual pulse in America today. What we see is churches and church leaders across our nation. They're becoming more culturally relevant. We see the appeasing to people as being the norm. And in the process, we see these churches and church leaders ignoring biblical truth. 
If you turn on a lot of different broadcasts, etc., what you're going to find is a watered down version of the gospel. What you're going to find is a message of easy believism being proclaimed. And we make this conclusion that a message of compromise and a man-centered gospel is more of the norm today than I would care to mention. Here's my question. Why have so many churches and church leaders compromised truth? Have you asked that question? Have you pondered that recently? Why is there such a, a great compromise, if you will, in our culture? Here's a working definition for you. The word compromise, if you look at it from a biblical standpoint, theological standpoint, the word compromise means to weaken. It means to give up biblical principles and biblical values in order to uh, accommodate others or to make accommodations even for someone that does not agree with a God-established standard of moral absolutes and objective truth. So when we see the word compromise... What it literally means is to give up. It means to weaken. It means to accommodate. And the word compromise is a death word. I've shared with you over the years that the person who says, meet me halfway, is always a poor judge of distance. And so what the world is asking us to do today is to meet them on their terms, they're asking us to weaken our stance on biblical truth. They're asking us to negotiate and compromise and to really give up ground that belongs to the Lord. Compromise has led the U.S. to become a humanistic nation. When you look at it, we have become a nation that is flooded with a philosophical worldview that we would call humanism. Humanism claims that God made the universe and it exists for the sole purpose of bringing happiness to man. Humanism claims that all roads lead to God. There's no one direct path. Humanism will say, do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, because the only thing that matters is God wants you to be happy. That is the narrative and the message that is saturating today our country. Reality is, over the last 70 plus years, we've seen a great erosion when it comes to subjective, or should I say, uh, moral absolutes and objective truth in our nation. We've seen a great erosion where subjective reasoning has become the norm. You go back even to the 60s with the Woodstock era with Jimi Hendrix and Cream and the Doors and the motto of that time or the philosophy of life was, hey man, just get high, get by, and get laid. It was a message in our culture that said the only thing that matters is your personal pleasure. So it was this love at all expense. Just do whatever you want to do. You're like, I can't believe you just said that. Go back and study the culture. Go back and study what started to saturate the American people. So when you look at it, even today, the lines between right and wrong have become so blurred, it's not even funny. And moral absolutes and objective truth is being disregarded. What is objective truth? Objective truth we find in the scripture, and objective truth is that which is true for all people, of all places, 
for all times. And so when we use the word objective truth, that's what we're talking about. God is the object of the truth. What are we talking about when we talk about subjective reasoning? You become the subject and you get to call the shots whatever you want it to be. And so we're living in this world of so much corruption. And corruption is an epidemic throughout our nation and even throughout our world. We call the day in which we live, we call it a post-biblical era or even a postmodern culture. That is the philosophical uh, terminology that is used today. And postmodernism, when you look at it, what they believe is you get to define whatever morality you want to live by. Whatever your personal and private code of ethics is, you get to make the choice. That's the world in which we find ourselves living. And so the ideology and worldview and philosophical thinking of a postmodernist is this. There is no such thing as truth. That's what they believe. There's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as meaning. There's no such thing as certainty. There's no such thing as absolutes. And so the postmodern thought that exists inside of our culture has been making headways for years, and the the argument or the goal of a postmodernist was this. Let's eliminate and evict God from all public venues. And we've seen that happen in the schoolhouse. We've seen that happen in the White House. We've seen that happen throughout our land. But the problem, as I established on the front side, is that we have seen it happen even in the church house in certain areas. I can tell you this, that truth matters. Now, when you define truth, it's important to define what truth is not. Truth is not just whatever works. That's not truth. Truth is not whatever makes you feel good. That's not truth. Truth is not just what the majority says. Truth is not what is being publicly applauded or approved. You've got to understand what truth is not. Truth is not whatever you want to believe. Because a lie believed is still a lie. We've got in that conversation even uh, this week with my friend. And it's like, hey, what is the lie? Is it based on truth? Is it based on feeling? Is it based on perception? The word truth in its purest definition, if you look at scripture, even from the Greek, the word truth literally means to hide nothing. It means to completely unveil. I looked at Hannah, my daughter, on Friday morning. We were sitting there, and we were talking through some things, and uh, she had made this statement. She goes, well, I'm being honest. I'm like, I hear you. And I said, let me give you a working definition of truth. The word truth means to hide nothing. I had my iPad laying on the sofa. What she didn't know is I had my phone. There was an ink pen. So I took a cushion before I got into this conversation, and I laid that cushion over my stuff. You could see maybe about an inch and a half of the iPad. I said, Hannah, do you know what's under the cushion? She goes, yes, your iPad. I said, Hannah, do you know what's under, my cush- under this cushion? Yes, Dad, your iPad. And I lifted the iPad, and I said, here's my phone. There's an ink pen, whatever. So a lot of people have gotten into the pattern of believing that they can disclose fragments and partial pieces of truth and go, well, I'm being honest. And you're not disclosing everything. You're hiding. You're covering up. And that's the culture in which we find ourselves living. People cover up. They don't disclose and unveil everything. So here's what I would say. In defining truth, 
Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Again, we must lay a baseline of what is biblical truth before you can get into the other conversations. So truth is that which corresponds to reality. Truth is not based on perception. Perception will always be subjective. I would say it this way. What is real to you is not always true, but what is true will always be real. About five years ago in the previous home we lived in, in that neighborhood, my neighbor hollered at me one day and he said, man, there's a black snake laying out in front of your house. I'm like, really? Where? Oh, it's right in the front when you come off the porch, right there off the sidewalk. If you turn left, man, there's a black snake laying over there. I said, really? So I go out and I look and I'm like, check it out. It was my black garden hose. His perception was, it's a snake. Reality was, it was a garden hose. And where we live today is you will hear people say that perception is reality. No, truth is that which corresponds with reality. If you perceive something totally wrong, it doesn't matter how you see it. The truth of it doesn't change. Truth corresponds to reality. Here's another definition, if you will. Truth is that which is always consistent with the will, the mind, the character, and the glory of God. When we say something is true, we're talking about it is consistent with the will of God, the mind of God, the character of God, the glory of God. God is the author of truth. God is the originator of truth. So when we make claims, this right here becomes the filter in which I sift everything through. What does God say? Truth is telling it like it is. Truth will always be there. It's always available. It's always open. And truth hides nothing. Does biblical truth matter? Absolutely. And I can tell you when you study the word of God and contemplate God as the sovereign entity, truth requires our attention and it requires a response. What is your response to truth? Will you live a life of humanistic, hedonistic pleasure-seeking? Will you live a life that is based on a postmodern worldview? Or will you submit to the, the Lord Jesus Christ, and will you submit and yield and align your will to his word, his will, his truth? Truth does not, listen, listen, truth does not make suggestions. Truth does not make suggestions. Truth demands. Do you have me? It will make demands. So if the Bible is not our source for absolute truth, and if personal experience is allowed to define what your truth is, then a personal relationship and faith in Christ is meaningless. Because then you live in a culture that says, you can do whatever you want to do because all roads lead to the same place. That is not true. When Jesus makes the statement that I am, Jesus makes the statement, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is an absolute, objective truth claim he's making. No other way will lead to the Father. Now, we live in this time of moral wreckage and so much corruption. The apostle Paul would write to his protege, Timothy, 
And the last chapter that we have that Paul wrote to Timothy, we've got 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 is the last thing he would write right before Paul would die. He writes to Timothy and he makes this statement, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. He goes, mark this down. In the last days, difficult times and trouble will increase. They're going to come. People will be, people will be, Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. They're going to be brutal. Listen, listen. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Always learning but never able to acknowledge the, the truth. Men of depraved minds will oppose the truth. Do you think we're living in the last days? Do we see the manifestation of a hedonistic pleasure-seeking culture where people love money and love pleasure and they're ungrateful and they're unholy? And he makes this statement. They're always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. We're living in a day where you reach in your pocket, you Google whatever, and you've got information right in front of you. And it's easy to gravitate toward grabbing whatever information. But you've got to ask the question, what is truth? Will I submit to truth? Will I acknowledge truth? And he says, in these last days, in these last days, people will be depraved. The amount of depravity with humanity that we see is mind-blowing. They're opposed to God. They're opposed to truth. They're opposed to anything of being a foundation to build from. They love self. They love pleasure. Watch. That's what he says. Paul even wrote to the believers in Colossae, Colossians chapter 2, and he makes this statement. Don't let anyone lead you astray from the truth. Don't let anyone come to you and lead you astray through compromise so that you negotiate and weaken. Don't let anyone lead you astray from truth with their empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking, even from the evil powers of this world. Don't you let anyone lead you astray. And that's the reason it is absolutely essential that we become critical thinkers, Adam. We've got to critically think through what we're hearing. And we've got to know what truth is so that we can sift it through. People today, there's so many philosophical and evil powers working in our world. And we go, ah, oh, what's happening? So refusing to compromise with the world, I promise you this. It will require, Steve, that we submit and we surrender to Jesus Christ, regardless of what the world's values and the world systems are telling us. If you're going to live a life of freedom and a life of joy and a life of peace, it's going to require total surrender to Christ because it's impossible to experience true life or embrace true life when divine truth and objective truth is disregarded. There has to be a baseline. What is going to be the ultimate authority? Who has the ultimate voice in your life? Who has the final say-so? Is it feelings? Is it just these great philosophical arguments that you hear? Or do you run to God? Do you run to thus saith the Lord? Have you given that?
the final say in your life. Now, here's where we find ourselves. Over the years, we've seen this progression, progression toward deterioration in our culture. And we've seen this happen not only in culture, but I see this happening in individual lives. People that maybe had some God, some God marinade way back. And all of a sudden you, you see them now and it's like, what happened? Here are the five words I want to build on briefly. As you think about the progression of deterioration, I would use the word question. Then I would say ignore. Then the word is reject. Then the word is eliminate. Then the word is become. Think about the argument and the progression of deterioration that we find. It will always start with questioning God. Genesis chapter 3, man and woman, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, not Adam and Bruce, Adam and Eve are on the planet walking with God. They're walking with God and everything is beautiful. God had told man, male and female, you're free to eat off of any tree of the garden, but if you eat off the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that day you will surely die. Genesis 3, the serpent comes and the serpent comes to Eve and here's the question, here's the question. Did God really say? Did God really say? If the enemy and the voices of darkness can get you to question and doubt the voice of God, it will open up so many paths of chaos and confusion. When you read Genesis chapter 3, Eve became her own reference point, if you will, and she tried to reason with the serpent. She became her own point of reference. She became the voice of reasoning, even in her own mind, as she was dealing with the enemy and evil. She disconnected from God, and she stopped reasoning from a position of truth. Do you know that that is where the... The door is open when we start to encounter like deterioration inside of us. Did God really say, did the world offer me something that I'm missing out on? Rachel, we know this to be true in our own lives, baby. We look at this and we go, man, I started questioning God. I started doubting God. I opened the door for all this chaos in my life because when objective truth or thought Authoritative truth from God is no longer the final authority in subjective reasoning is what we're using, meaning I become my reference point of dealing with the arguments of Satan, evil powers, or whatever. Everything becomes a relative. It's all relative, dude. There's, there's no absolutes. Relativism is so big in our culture. Humanism, relativism, postmodern thinking. Relativism basically declares there's no such thing as absolute truth. That's what we hear people say, man. They're moral relative, uh, relativists. What, what does that mean? There's no truth. There, there's nothing that you can build your life on when you enter into a a position of believing in an ideology of relativism. And then you get to this place of where we're at today. Did God really say? Did God really say that his blueprint is one man with one woman in marriage? That's, that's God's blueprint? Or, or, or the enemy comes and says, no, you've got permission to rewrite the narrative ever how you want. 
The fundamental problem that is existing so strongly in our culture today is here's what we found, that God's design has been replaced by man's desire. That's the fight. Well, this is my desire. Who are you to tell me what I can do and what I can't do? Even the scripture that says, uh, did God really say that children are to honor and obey their parents? Nah, we're going to question that, which means I can do as I please. I have no curfew. I have no boundaries. I'll just do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it. That's the world in which we live. We question God. We doubt God. We ignore God. And when you get there, it's detrimental. Once you start to entertain a worldview or a philosophy of life that says, question God, it will lead you to a place where you start to ignore God. Questioning leads to ignoring Romans chapter 1, verses 19, 21, and 22 says this. They know the truth about God. They do. Because God has made it obvious to them. We go on to read where he says, all men are without excuse. God has made his truth obvious to humanity. But they would not worship him as God. They would not give thanks to him as God. As a result, their minds became dark, confused, claiming to be wise. They became fools. You got people in your life that way? You ever lived this narrative right here where you started to question God? Did God really say? And then you get to a place where you just ignore what God says? And fallen people that are left to their own vices. I mean, people get so wrapped up in their passions and the pursuit of what gratifies and satisfies their flesh. And they get so wrapped up in the cares of the world that we reach a place where we just become ignorant of truth. You know what the root word of ignorant is? It means to ignore. Oh, that person's ignorant. Ignorant implies that you've been exposed to some knowledge. You just ignore it. We use that word. And that's where people get. I'm going to ignore God. I'm not going to do what God says. And that's the progression. And then once you open that door of questioning God and you get to the place where you're ignoring the voice of God and you're ignoring the promptings of the Holy Spirit, it's going to lead you to a place where you just outright reject God. Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, Israel became fat and unruly. The people grew heavy, plump, stuffed. They abandoned the God who had made them the rock of their salvation. He goes on to say, you neglected the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. What happened? We reach a place where we conclude, hey, man, my plan's better. I want to do me. It's my life. It's my choice. I I can do whatever I want to do. Who are you to tell me anything? And we live in a culture where people have become so fat with money and fat with materialism and fat with stuff. And we get all this stuff in us and around us. We don't need God. We've got money. We've got houses and we've got plenty of cars and we've got lake places and we can vacate like a champ. And what we end up doing is we just abandon God. We neglect God. We forget God. And he said, even the God that gave you breath, you forgot him. Like, yes. One day God is going to say, give me back my, give me back my breath. And you will not forget him on that day. You will meet him on that day. And so will I. 
But if, if you're at a place where you go, I'm stuffed, I'm fat, I got plenty. Can I tell you, I would highly encourage you to repent because you're on a path to hell. You're on the highway to hell because you, you, you're not listening to God. And once people question and ignore and reject, they get to a place where they ultimately will eliminate God. I'm just going to eliminate him. I'm not going to pay attention. You're eliminated in my worldview. Romans 1, if you read verses 24 through 29, read it. But listen to what he says here, even in 28 and 29. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. This whole chapter, this whole piece right here in this chapter is dealing with this. It says this, God abandoned them. Three times that statement is made. God abandoned them. Since they thought it foolish. Since they have ignored, rejected, or whatever, God abandoned. Another text would read, a translation would say, God gave them over to, even in their own mind. God abandoned them to foolish thinking, and he let them do things that should never be done. He's talking about sexual immorality in this text, and he's talking about where men begin to exchange the natural passions that God has placed inside for a woman and man is with man and woman is with woman. He, he goes through this in Romans 1. Please read it. God gave them over. God abandoned them. Listen to what he says. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, every kind of sin and greed and hate and envy and murder and quarreling and deception do what? God in his righteous love and in his righteous grace and in his righteous wrath and in his righteous judgment, he will give men and women over to the evil desires of their heart. You've rejected me. You've become callous toward me. You want to pursue it? Man, that's a hard place to be. And God will allow us to experience the self-destruction of choosing to live in sin. You want to live there. You can become so calloused. We were talking yesterday with a friend, and she was telling me and Barb about her sister's father-in-law passing away. And she said it was so sad, like over the last three or four weeks of his time on the planet, I mean, he had like 40 bottles of wine 40 ounce bottles of wine and she said in like a four-week period of time he had drank in like all but three I'm like really that much and they find him and he's 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 fried I mean he's crushed his liver and his bloodstream is just as bad it's alcohol poisoning and she said that her six-year-old six-year-old niece looked at her sister and said mommy and looked at the dad and said, Daddy, why has Grandpa chosen his sin over the Savior? He stepped into eternity. He took his last breath. God said, give me back my breath. And this little six-year-old girl looks at her mom and dad with her grandpa now being dead and said, why did Grandpa choose his sin over the Savior? And I look, and I would ask you, are you choosing your sin over the Savior? 
Are you choosing to ignore God and reject God? Because I do believe that a person's heart can become so callous that God goes, you know what? I've abandoned you to do whatever you want to do. When you eliminate God from your equation, you're, you're left but with one choice. You become your own small G God. That's the reason the progression as I lay it out is question, ignore, reject, eliminate. Then you become your own small G God. You become your own voice of reasoning. And can I tell you, when a person reaches a place where they become their own small G God, here's what ends up happening. You will embrace a life of tolerance because you have absolutely suppressed and eliminated truth from your life. And if any word describes the condition in our country today, I would say it is the word tolerance. G.K. Chesterton, that great British journalist, some 100 years ago made this statement when he said tolerance is the virtue for the man with no conviction. Today in our society, the word tolerance, when you think of it from a Judeo-Christian evangelical standpoint, don't miss this, the word tolerance today means that you respect and accept someone's opinions, someone's behavior, someone's practices, even if that behavior and those practices are sinful or promote sin. When you look at a person and you go, you just got to be tolerant. Tolerance today means that you accept and even respect a person's behavior and practices, even if it is sinful or even if it promotes sin. Biblically, we're called to love people, but we're not called to accept and we're not called to respect a behavior or practice when God calls it sinful. We can't do that. And again, the watered-down version of easy believism that is being presented by some today, there's no lines being drawn. I heard a guy say this past week that we make big circles, we don't draw lines. This was an evangelical voice in Metro Atlanta that made that statement. We just draw big circles. We don't have lines. The problem is Jesus drew lines. He drew lines. He established right, wrong, good, evil. He, he did it. So the question has to be asked him, can truth and tolerance coexist? Since tolerance accepts and makes accommodations for sin and God doesn't, it's impossible for, for tolerance and truth to coexist. They can't coexist. One of the attacks that I've had on my life for years is you're just not tolerant enough. My buddy Mac Powell, the lead singer of Third Day, I went with those guys to a concert some 15 years ago to see one of the biggest bands in the world, U2. Like, I like U2's music. I thought this would be a fun night, and it was. 
It's almost cultish watching how the fans respond to Bono and their music. But Bono comes out after the, probably about 45 minutes of singing. He had walked back, got something to drink, toweled it off. And he came back with a, like a bandana thing on. And he walks on the stage and across the front of his bandana, it read, coexist. And Bono had three different emblems on this headgear. He had the cross. Some of y'all are Christian. He had the star of David with Judaism. And then he had the symbol for Islamic, the Muslim faith. And he stood there and said, it's time for us to coexist. We've got to get along. And I sat there and my heart was crushed because all roads don't lead to the same place. What we woke up to yesterday morning is a refusal to coexist. When you see Hamas and the Islamic extremists attacking the nation of Israel, not going to get along because you got different gods, different values, different ideology. I will tell you, tolerance and truth cannot coexist, Jack. For the follower of Jesus, Tolerance will infect and disease your spiritual walk. It will infect and disease it. It will distort your understanding of God's word. It will cause you to pick up the scripture and cut and paste verses out of context. It will cause you to a la carte things that only support the narrative. It hinders your ability to walk with Christ, to worship the Lord. And it will absolutely annihilate you when it comes to walking a life of holiness. This is the baseline as we get to moving into this entire series. We at the Cross Loganville believe that the core fabric of a healthy society is the family unit. Defined this way, we believe that the core fabric of a healthy society is the family unit that is made up of a man and a woman in a covenant relationship. No other combinations work. Again, we must focus on God's design, not man's desire. Do we believe that truth is narrow? Yes. Do we believe that sin and struggles are widespread? Yes. Do we believe that every human that has ever been born into this world has struggled with lies about our own self-perception, we do. We believe that when we're born into the world, we're dead in our sin and our trespasses, and we believe that every person that has ever been born has struggled with believing lies or empowering lies that cause us to focus on self it's just in an intense way, I've got to focus on self because we don't perceive ourselves the way God perceives us. And we start to buy into these lies. I believe every person that I meet, including me, we have a great ability to pursue the desires of the flesh. I believe every person that I meet has been jacked up because of sin. It messed us up at the core. And when you start to embrace lies, 
that are not consistent with who God says you are and not consistent with reality, you will open up all kinds of doors to twisted sin patterns and paths. I just believe the lie. It's not true. Tim, do you believe every person you meet at their core, they're jacked up and needs the Savior? Every, every, every person. Do you believe that when you look in the mirror, Tim, that you were royally jacked up and you needed the Savior? Royally jacked up, needed the Savior. Could you save yourself? No. Could you fix yourself? No. Do you believe that God's truth does demand a response? I do. Do you believe that God's truth talks about righteousness and holiness and being sanctified? I know it does. Do you believe that God's truth talks about sin and confession and repentance? I, I, I know it does. Do you believe that all people are created in the image of God? Yes. Do you believe that sin distorted that image in every human being? Yes. Do you believe that God loves all people? Oh, God loves all people. Does the cross Loganville have compassion for people? We have compassion for people. We love people. People have been created in the image of God. Do you believe the gospel is for all people? I do. I believe Jesus says, come to me for all people. But we also believe that there are certain lifestyle choices that are sinful. We believe that. We believe that God loves us, but it does not eliminate the fact that God calls certain, some things sin and those things will lead to an abomination. Do you believe that? Yes. Let me close you with this. Here's where I would end. I would tell you that truth by nature can be very offensive. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be shared in a way that's demeaning and mad at people. Truth by nature can be offensive. Truth, again, is very narrow. One of the complaints that I've heard in my 37, 38 year journey of walking with Jesus is this, Tim, Christians are just too narrow minded. You ever heard that word before? And again, I would look and say, is a math teacher too narrow minded for holding to the belief that two plus two equals only four? So if a math teacher gives her little second grade, first grade class a quiz, and on that quiz is problem number one, two plus two equals, and if the kids come back with three, five, seven, and nine is the answer, and she puts a red X through that, and parents go, I can't believe you're being so hard on my child. I can't believe you're being so mean toward my child. I can't believe that you would absolutely crush the self-confidence of my child. Look at what you've done to screw my child up. That's the arguments that we hear today. Instead of a parent saying, you know what, you're right. Two plus two equals four, and any other answer would be wrong. Truth by definition is narrow. I can honestly tell you, and I'm so happy today for many reasons, joyful. I can tell you that I, I, I have one biological brother. His name is John, J-O-N, Adam Cash. He and his wife, Hazalee, are with, him, with me today up here. And I can tell you that I went to the hospital on July 
1972, when he was born. My mama gave birth to my brother. I've only got one biological brother. I just told you his name. I just told you the date that he was born. He just turned 51. I'm nine and a half years older than him. Truth is narrow. His name is not Peter, Paul, and Mary. He was not born July 4th. He was born July 25th. Truth, by definition, is very, very, very narrow. But in this postmodern culture in which we live, people want it to be all-inclusive. They want anything to work. Anything does not work. Another complaint that I've heard over the years, this is one I've heard. It is very arrogant to say that one person is right and the other people are wrong. It's very arrogant to say that there's only one belief system, if you will, and faith system is right and the other ones are wrong. Okay. Is that true? Is that true? If Caleb came to me and said, Dad, can I drive your truck? And I would say, Caleb, right outside our bedroom, you know where the keys are hanging, my my keys are, and I describe my keys to him, and it will have a core or Toyota uh, logo on it. If you want to drive my truck, that key right there is the only key that will operate that truck. If you try to pick up any of those other keys, this, you might drive, be able to get a key and go in Hannah's car, but that, that key right there is the only key. That's the only right one. All the other keys are wrong. Would that be harsh? Would that be rude? See, arguments in this world fall apart for so many people when they make these statements that, well, you're too narrow-minded. You can't say that one way is right and all others are wrong. Caleb, I promise you, your dad loves you. Only that one key will fit. Another one I've heard is this. Tim, I believe that the only thing that matters is sincerity. I've heard that. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as that you're just sincere. Someone who picks up a bottle of poison and sincerely believes that it is lemonade and they drink it, does it matter how sincere they were? So many people are sincerely, they're, they're wrong. Do you know that life has consequences for being wrong? Do you know that truth matters and that eternity is an awfully long time to be wrong? God invites us into truth. God invites us into a personal relationship with Christ. And my heart's desire and prayer for every person in this room is that you would say, I want to walk in God's truth. I want to I want to walk according to what God has said in his word. That's my prayer for you. So as we get into these other conversations, you have to build from a baseline of truth to get into understanding where we get our blueprint for man, woman, marriage, etc. Everything is birthed in scripture. And we will stay in the first three or four chapters of Genesis for many weeks as we build on the narrative of truth, maleness, femaleness, masculinity, femininity, 
we, we're going to build on this because we believe this gives us our baseline of reason and truth.